good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Central Church. If I haven't met you, hopefully I'll get a chance to meet you soon. Uh, my name is Timothy, as Trevor said, and excited to be opening up God's Word this morning together. Uh, so if you're just joining us for the first time, we are in the middle of a sermon series entitled Encountering Jesus. Uh, this fall, we're looking at some of the more polarizing encounters that Jesus had with men and women throughout the four Gospels. And one thing that stands out time and time again as we see these encounters is that people don't encounter Jesus and remain the same. But rather, an encounter with Jesus necessarily transforms. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a very specific encounter that Jesus has with a handful of fishermen. An encounter that turned these men's lives upside down and changed the trajectory of their lives forever. And so if you're able, I'm going to invite you, as is our custom, to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. This is God's word. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We believe your word is true. We ask now that you would speak to us through your word, that you would give me the courage to get out of the way so that you might speak directly to our hearts and that we would encounter you, the living God, and be transformed. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Years ago, after my family moved to Durham, uh, we decided to buy a house. And like uh, many homeowners, we desired to find a house that had some character, a uh, little special characteristics about it. And through God's providence, we were able to find that. We found an old Victorian house, a hundred-year-old home, uh, a house that was clearly something special a long time ago. And in the process of bringing this house back to life, we realized that whoever built this house did not design it for a family of six. And so we decided in our renovations to add on to the house. But I had one thing that I wanted to make really clear, both to the architect and to the contractor. And that was I did not want it to appear as though a new part had been added on to the house. I wanted it to look like the addition was a part of the original house. Those of you who are art architects or builders, you realize that what I was asking is not possible. Uh, and at the end of the day, it was pretty obvious that there was a part of this house that did not belong, that was not a part of the original design of the house. And my question for us this morning 
is has the church in America, or maybe closer to home, has Christ's central church begun to view missions as an add-on to the church? Have we begun to see our mission to reach people outside this room to fish for men as something that is not central to what the church is all about? Here's what that might look like. You see, if missions is an add-on and it's not integral to the building itself, then missions becomes something that we, the church, will get to once we've got Sunday morning figured out and running smoothly. Once the budget is where it should be and everyone is good on Bible reading and emotional health and community formation, if we take care of all of those things, those more central things, and there's still some time and energy left over, then we can begin to think about mission. Then we can begin to think outside these four walls. And the problem with this way of thinking that missions is not the house, but rather an add-on to the house, is that our text, and the whole Bible for that matter, overwhelmingly disagrees with this line of thought. Our text this morning makes plain that the essence of what we are as the church of Jesus Christ is a mission agency. My hope and prayer this morning is that we will walk away from this text with a deeper understanding of what it looks like for us to be a part of that mission, of Christ's mission to redeem the world. There's two main sections to this particular encounter with Jesus. They'll serve as our two points this morning. The first is the invitation and second is the promise. The invitation and the promise. Let's begin. Now at first glance, the invitation seems rather straightforward. The request that is made is for these fishermen to follow Jesus. However, there's two things that need to be unpacked a little for, really, for us to really understand this invitation. First is the time that it takes for the fishermen to respond. And the second is what their response would have cost them. Matthew begins by going out of his way to highlight how quickly the fishermen made this decision. The Greek word that is translated here, immediately, it literally means immediately. I figured that out all by myself. (laughs) Meaning right away. Uh, I don't know if many of you have ever fished with a net. I haven't, but maybe the parallel that will be helpful is is that they responded mid-cast. The lure just hit the water, and Jesus calls. They just dropped their pole and ran, which is strange to say the least. But it's really strange if you understand what the decision would have cost them. You have to wrap your mind around the fact that in first century Israel, people didn't have vocational options. It's not like today where you try out one career and if you don't like it, you just pick another one and try that out. No, your career is decided at birth. If your daddy was a farmer, your life vocation was farming. If your daddy was a fisherman, then your life vocation was fishing. Just why we see here, it makes a lot of sense that you've got two sets of brothers that Jesus calls. These are young men who had no choice. All the children of this man are going to fish. That's the family business. I think it's also worth noting that there weren't really any security blankets out there for those who found themselves unemployed. Unemployment in first century Israel was brutal, at times even deadly. 
meaning for these guys to walk away from the family business would have been extremely risky, extremely costly. Because if this Jesus thing didn't work out, then these guys were in big trouble. Which begs the question, why? Why would these fishermen respond with such immediacy, especially when there's so much risk attached to their decision? I think the context is key. Now, it's worth noting that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And that's important to note because there are certain things that a first century Jew would have intuitively known that would not need to be stated. Some things that we might not be aware of. And so that's a helpful question. What might these first century Jews have understood that we might be missing? And I think one bit of information that we are missing that I think unlocks this whole passage is what education looked like for young Jewish boys. So we're going to do a little history lesson here, if that's okay. Starting at age six, Jewish children would be enrolled in the local synagogue school called Bet Sefer. This school was not at all what school looked like, looked like for us today. There was only one subject. That was God's word. Hebrew Bible, what we now refer to as the Old Testament. And the way this education system worked is that there was different benchmarks along the way. And and at each benchmark, some of the kids would be invited to stop their education, meaning they didn't make the cut. So the first benchmark is at age 13, and those who performed well would move on to secondary school, Bet Midrash. Six more years of Bible study. And then those who performed well in Bet Midrash, the best of the best, would then pursue rabbi training. Rabbis are the certified, authoritative teachers of God's word for the nation of Israel. And so these graduates, if you will, would go and present themselves before a rabbi, and then the rabbi would put these students through the final test to see if he wanted to bring this student on as one of his Talmud, one of his disciples. And to a select few, the best of the best of the best, the rabbi would say, Dito, Apiso, Mu. Follow after me. Those special students would be invited to become one of the rabbi's disciples. Invited to follow the rabbi wherever he went, studying the rabbi's every move in hopes that one day the student might become like the rabbi. I think it goes without stating that this was a huge honor. This is the thing that all the young boys dreamed about, to be a Talmud, a disciple of a rabbi. Now hold that thought. To the students who the rabbi determined were not good enough, the students that did not make the cut, he would say something along the lines of, go and ply your trade. Meaning you didn't make the cut, go home and join your father in the family business. So that's the history. All of that is what the first century audience would have been well aware of. And it's through looking at this text in light of that that we begin to see what is going on here in this invitation. Look again at verse 18. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, and they're casting their nets. What are they doing? They're plying their trade, right? They were not rabbi material. They were not chosen. But then, verse 19, 
along comes a rabbi that's new in town. And this rabbi calls out to these young boys, boys who didn't make the cut. And he says, Dute apiso mu. Follow after me. He says, I choose you. I want you to be my Talmud, my disciple. And I think we have to imagine this is one of those look over their shoulder moments like, like, surely he's not talking to me. But in fact, he is. And once they realize that the rabbi is talking to them, they drop everything. And they follow after him because the rabbi has chosen me. Do you see the text now? They respond with immediacy in spite of all that it might cost them because someone of immense worth and value has communicated to them that he believes in them. Now the question that remains is what was Jesus thinking? I mean the reason the rabbi chooses the best students is so that these students can perpetuate the teachings of the rabbi. How are these fishermen going to perpetuate the teachings of the rabbi? A few weeks ago my daughter tried out for the volleyball team at school having never before been a part of a volleyball team and she made the team Uh, and for someone who's not very athletic uh, I was really proud of her. Proud father. But in this making of the team, she still had a lot of fear and apprehension. Like, do I really belong here? Do I, do I deserve this spot? And then a week or so later, after the team had been practicing together and, and getting to know each other, the coach pulls my daughter aside and asks if she would be willing to be one of the two team captains. Again, she's never been a part of a volleyball team in her life. Why did the coach do this? Not because of her volleyball skills per se, but rather she chose my daughter because she believed in what my daughter could become. Fast forward a bit to the first game, and this is what I saw. I saw my daughter, who's still learning the game, but leading the team, rallying the girls, encouraging and coaching, patting the girls on the back when they make a mistake, being an incredible team captain. How does that happen? What happened because someone that my daughter respected, someone who for my daughter had clout and authority and wisdom, spoke some profound truth into her life, communicated to her, I believe in you. And in choosing my daughter, she empowered her to live into something that she otherwise would not have been able to do. What's amazing is that at the end of Matthew's gospel, what we see is that this invitation is not just for these disciples. What the Great Commission communicates to us is that Jesus Christ is inviting you and me also to be his disciples. He chooses you too. And he doesn't do that out of ignorance. The scriptures tell us that that God is intimately acquainted with all your ways. He knows all your mistakes, all your failures, all your shortcomings. And at the same time, he says, I choose you. I want you to be my disciple. Now, I can hear your concerns. That sounds great. It feels really good to be chosen, God, but where are we going? Follow you where? So look again at verse 19. Jesus says, this is where we're going. We're going fishing. And the rest of the Gospels is Jesus, in many ways, showing the disciples how to fish. 
And what's fascinating is that instead of posting up in the synagogue like the other rabbis, this rabbi takes his disciples outside the temple walls and into the lives who are pe- of people who are hurting, who are addicted, who are marginalized, who are abandoned, who do not know him. And what we see throughout the Gospels is that Jesus is fishing. It looks different than the other rabbis because Jesus is fishing for whole people. Unlike the other rabbis, Jesus did more than just teach. He healed, he befriended, he extended mercy, he fought for justice. The way we say this here at Christ Central is he labored for spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. The redemption of whole people. And Jesus is inviting you and me to do the same, to leave this place and to follow him into the lives of people, to heal, to befriend, to extend mercy, and to fight for justice, to join Jesus in the fight for spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. Now, I get it. Some of you, just like the disciples, are having one of those kind of look-over-your-shoulder moments, like, he's not talking to me, is he? Isn't that your job, pastor, to make disciples? And the answer from this text is absolutely not. That's really the shocking point of the text. Jesus doesn't go into the synagogue and look for the the best Bible scholars. He chooses fishermen. He chooses regular people like you and me. I love this quote from Chris Wright in a book that we're reading as a staff team. He says, missions is not an agenda for a specialized task force. It's not an exotic vocation for special people who are appointed, trained, sent, and paid to do it for the rest of us. Missions is the mode of existence for the whole life of every member of God's whole church. It's for all of us. But then the question is, how do we do it? How do we fish for men? Which brings us to our second point, the promise. I was watching uh, the movie Top Gun Maverick again uh, with my son a couple of weeks ago. So good. For those of you who hadn't seen it, shame on you, but it's a story about some Navy pilots who've been presented with this seemingly impossible mission. And in their training, the impossibility becomes more and more obvious. They keep running these test flights and nobody can complete the mission within the parameters that are needed to avoid being killed. And so they're scared. They're, they're convinced that they're going to fail. And then this crusty old pilot named Maverick, played by Tom Cruise, he hops in a fighter jet and he, he successfully performs the test flight. And you'd think this would help, but really what this does for the pilots is it proves to them that maybe somebody can do it, but it's not me. And then the movie takes a turn and the admiral over the mission decides to put Maverick into the mission as the team leader. And now none of the pilots are required to lead the mission. All they have to do is follow after Maverick. And in following Maverick, he makes them into the pilots they need to be in order to complete the mission. Now I realize there's a good chance I might lose my preaching credentials because I just compared Jesus to Tom Cruise. But the point is profound and it needs to be heard. There's these three words in verse 19 that make all the difference. Jesus says, I will make. I will make. Meaning the onus is on Jesus. It's up to him to equip us for this scary and daunting task that's ahead of us. The task of fishing for men. Which should come as a huge relief to us. 
because it's not on me to make the fish bite. The success of the mission is not on my shoulders. My job is to follow Jesus into the lives of people who have not yet experienced his grace and mercy, to love like Jesus and to serve like Jesus served. And Jesus' promise is that he will do the rest. Now at the same time, I think there's a, a helpful caution here for us. Jesus is making a promise here. It's an if-then statement. If we follow Jesus, then he will make us into fishers of men. Meaning it's on Jesus, but the other side of the coin is that if we are not fishing for men, then we have to ask the question, are we actually following after Jesus? Because apparently there's no following that doesn't include fishing. Will Willimon, local seminary professor and bishop in the Methodist church he calls following without fishing salvation that is detached from vocation something that the scriptures have no category for so then what does that mean for those of us whose lives are not marked much by fishing and I feel that myself remember the invitation is to become a Talmud a disciple one who sticks as close as possible to the rabbi, who studies their every move and hopes to become like him. This idea was exemplified by a blessing that was often spoken over the Talmud. The blessing was, may you be covered in the dust of the rabbi. Meaning, may you be following so closely that you end up being covered with the dust that is kicked up from the rabbi's sandals. Now the problem is that we're not going to get very dusty in here. And so church, we have to be careful. Here at Christ Central, we prioritize Sunday worship. We prioritize authentic community, slowed down spirituality, emotional health. These things are very important. I'm not asking us to throw them out, but what this text is saying is that that's not enough. That following Jesus includes all of that and it necessarily includes being a part of his mission. That God's mission is bigger than us and he has chosen to invite us into that mission with him to take part in the fishing for men. So the challenge is for the church to arise as we just sang. To join in this mission that God has promised he will be victorious in. He is going to redeem the world and he's invited us to be a part of that with him. I want to share one other quote by Bishop Williman. And this is a quote in response to this danger of the church being too inwardly focused. He says, inwardly focused internal congregational maintenance can be accomplished by sincere, dedicated people led by a loving, caring pastor. No God needed, this is challenging, no God needed to help create a warm, caring club of like with like. Only when the congregation focuses on mission outside itself must it rely upon Christ for help. Church, are we living in such a way where we need Christ's help? The mission of the church is not an add-on. It is the church. May we freshly be emboldened to follow Jesus outside these four walls into the places where we must rely on Christ for help, 
or we won't make it unless Christ's words, I will make, ring true. I'm going to give the apostle Peter, one of these fishermen who was called in this text, the final word. This is what he says. He says, you, Christ central, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. God picked you. But why? To fish for men so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you chose us to to be your children, to be in your family, and to be your disciples. That you believe in us You believe in what we can become in you. And Father, we thank you that you will make. You are molding and shaping us into the image of your son, Jesus. And you send us out as his missionaries into this world that desperately needs to hear the good news. Give us courage, give us boldness. And give us faith to know that you will accomplish the mission which you have started. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.